welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. So this is my second episode on limb anatomy. In this episode, we are moving distally down the upper limb and we're going to talk about the cubital fossa and the forearm. Let's start off by talking about the bones of the forearm. I'm not going to go into too much detail about these as we're obviously not orthopedic surgeons, Um, but in general, there is the radius and the ulna bones. The radius is the main bone, and this has a hinge joint at the elbow, which allows flexion and extension, and it uh, rotates with the ulna bone in order to supinate and pronate. The radius is narrow proximally and much larger distally, which is an opposite to the ulna, which is much larger proximally and smaller distally. The radius bone starts with a head, which is cylindrical, and this articulates with the capitulum of the humerus. The radius then has a neck, a shaft, and the lower end, which articulates both with the ulna bone as well as the carpal bones. The ulna bone, as I've said, is larger proximally, where it has two heads, which are called the olecranon and the coronoid process. These two heads wrap around the distal end of the humerus to articulate with the trochlea of the humerus, and this allows a good attachment between these two bones. It then has a um, shaft, again, and a lower head, which has a small rounded prominence and articulates both with the radius and the carpal bones as well. Between the radius and ulna is a strong interosseous membrane, which does help to separate the anterior from the posterior compartments of the forearm. So let's next move on to talk about the anterior compartment of the forearm, and we'll start with the muscles of this compartment. The muscles of the anterior compartment of the forearm are divided up into superficial and deep muscles. The superficial muscles, there are five of, and if you put the palm of your hand on the opposite forearm with the palm sitting at the medial epicondyle and the five fingers splayed out over the forearm, this corresponds to those five muscles. So your thumb is the pronator teres, your second finger is the flexor carpi radialis, the third is the flexor digitorum superficialis, The fourth is palmaris longus, and the fifth is flexor carpi ulnaris. And you can tell which ones of those are by the direction that they're heading in. Um, If you think about it in that order, I find that makes a lot of sense. Of these five muscles, the first four of them are supplied by the median nerve. And the fifth one, the flexor carpi ulnaris, is supplied by the ulnar nerve. The other thing to know about these five muscles is that they have a common origin, from the anterior surface of the medial epicondyle of the humerus. So let's talk about each of these five in turn. So the first of these muscles, the thumb, is the pronator teres. This muscle has its origin from that common origin on the medial epicondyle of the humerus, and it actually has two heads. So it has a second head that originates from the coronoid process of the ulna. This is important because the median nerve actually comes between the two heads of the pronator teres muscle, and also that the ulnar artery passes deep to the deep head. 
The attachment of pronator teres is just behind the lateral profile of the radius bone. As I've mentioned, this muscle is supplied by branches from the median nerve. And as its name suggests, the function of this muscle is to pronate the forearm. However, it also has a role in flexing the forearm as well. The next muscle, which was the index finger, if we've got our palm on the medial epicondyle, is the flexor carpi radialis muscle. This muscle also has its origin from that common origin on the medial epicondyle. Its fleshy belly quickly turns into a long tendon, which inserts into the base of the second and third metacarpal bones. It's an important landmark in the wrist because the radial artery sits lateral to this tendon and the median nerve sits medial to it at the wrist. As I've mentioned, this muscle is also supplied by branches of the median nerve. The next muscle is the flexor digitorum superficialis. It makes sense that this muscle would be in the superficial compartment or aspect of the forearm. This muscle does have its origin from that medial epicondyle of the humerus, but it also takes its origin from an aspect of the radius as well. And it's quite a big, bulky muscle. This muscle gives a rise to four tendons, which go to each of the second, third, and fourth digits. These tendons pass underneath the flexor retinaculum at the wrist, so they pass through the carpal tunnel. And the arrangement of these tendons is that the two superficial tendons are the tendons to the third and fourth fingers, and the tendons to the second and fifth fingers run deep to those two tendons. This muscle is an important landmark because the median nerve runs underneath this muscle between the flexor digitorum superficialis and the flexor digitorum profundus. And as with the first two muscles we've talked about, this muscle is also supplied by branches of the median nerve, which makes sense given its close proximity to the nerve. The fourth muscle is the palmaris longus muscle, and this is a pretty insignificant muscle that arises from the medial epicondyle and has a short flat tendon which inserts into the palmar aponeurosis. It's also supplied by the median nerve. And the last muscle of the superficial part of the anterior compartment of the forearm is the flexor carpi ulnaris muscle. This muscle has its origin from the medial epicondyle of the humerus, but it also has its origin from the olecranon and part of the ulna bone itself. Its insertion is into the pisiform bone, um, and it helps to ulnally deviate the hand. This muscle is important for a couple of reasons. The first is that between the head that comes from the medial epicondyle and the aspect that comes from the olecranon um, and the ulna itself, the ulna nerve actually enters through between these two um, heads or origins of the muscle. The other important thing about this muscle is that it is not supplied by the median nerve as the other four are, and as I've already mentioned, it is supplied by the ulnar nerve, which again makes sense given the ulnar nerve is entering the forearm through the two heads of the flexor carpi ulnaris muscle. Moving on to the deep muscles of the anterior compartment of the forearm. There's only three to remember for this compartment. These are the flexor digitorum profundus, the flexor pollicis longus, and the pronator quadratus muscles. These muscles are all supplied by the anterior interosseous branch of the median nerve, with the exception that half of flexor digitorum profundus is supplied by the ulnar nerve. 
We will talk about these nerves a little bit later. So the flexor digitorum profundus, as its name suggests, is a deep flexor of the fingers. The muscle arises from the medial surface of the olecranon, as well as the upper three quarters of the ulna and part of the interosseous membrane. The flexor digitorum profundus is one of the larger muscles of the anterior compartment of the forearm. This muscle splits off again into four tendons, which will travel to the second, third, fourth, and fifth digits. These tendons also run through the carpal tunnel, deep to the flexor retinaculum, and they do this deep to the tendons of the flexor digitorum superficialis. As I mentioned earlier, this muscle is supplied by the anterior interosseous branch of the median nerve, but it's also got supply from the ulnar nerve as well. This makes sense when considering that the ulnar nerve runs between the flexor carpi ulnaris, which is a more superficial muscle, and the flexor digitorum profundus, which is deep to that muscle. So the ulnar nerve is running in between those two muscles. And the ulnar nerve does supply the flexor carpi ulnaris, as we've also said. And now we know that it also supplies half of the flexor digitorum profundus muscle. The next muscle to talk about is the flexus pollicis longus muscle. This muscle arises from the anterior surface of the radius. Its tendon passes in the carpal tunnel, deep to the tendon of the flexor carpi radialis. The tendon then spirals around to insert into the base of the distal phalanx of the thumb. This muscle is also supplied by the anterior interosseous branch of the median nerve. And the last muscle in the deep aspect of the anterior compartment of the forearm is the pronator quadratus muscle. This muscle is a roughly rectangular shaped muscle that has its origin on the ulnar bone distally and inserts into the radius and it helps with pronation as the name suggests. And as the other two deep muscles, this muscle is also supplied by the anterior interosseous branch of the median nerve. So let's briefly run through the muscles of the posterior compartment of the forearm. So I'm going to start with the two most superficial muscles that actually arise from the lower third of the humerus itself. These are the brachioradialis muscles and the extensor carpi radialis longus. So the brachioradialis muscle arises from the upper two thirds of the lateral supracondylar ridge of the humerus. And then it is inserted at the base of the styloid process of the radius. You can feel this muscle yourself on the most lateral aspect of the forearm. It's quite a bulky muscle. And this muscle is supplied by the radial nerve. The second is the extensor carpi radialis longus muscle. And this comes again from the lateral supracondylar ridge of the humerus. And it sits deep to the brachioradialis muscle. This tendon flattens out and is inserted into the base of the second metacarpal. You might remember that there was a flexor carpi radialis, and this is the, I guess, uh, mirroring muscle on the extensor aspect of the forearm. And so it does extend and radially deviate the wrist. This muscle is also supplied by a branch of the radial nerve. So let's move on to the four muscles that have a common extensor origin from the lateral epicondyle of the humerus. 
These do actually arise from the anterior side of the humerus, although they do then spiral around posteriorly to be the part of the posterior compartment of the forearm. This makes sense when you think about a pronated forearm. And if you look at that on yourself, you can see that that lateral epicondyle does continue down the posterior surface when you have a pronated forearm and that surface is looking more anterior. I hope that made sense. Anyway, have a play with your forearm to get an idea of that. So the four muscles that do have their common extensor origin are the extensor carpi radialis brevis, the extensor digitorum, the extensor digiti minimi, and the extensor carpi ulnaris. All four of these muscles that have this common origin are supplied by the posterior interosseous nerve, which is a branch of the radial nerve. So going through each of these muscles in turn, the extensor carpi radialis brevis is similar to the extensor carpi radialis longus. It does have its origin from the common extensor origin on the lateral epicondyle of the humerus but its insertion is into the base of the third metacarpal, with the longest muscle being inserted into the base of the second metacarpal. As I've mentioned, this is supplied by the posterior interosseous nerve. Next along that common origin in an ulnar direction is the extensor digitorum, which as it sounds, extends the digits. This muscle arises from that uh, lateral epicondyle of the humerus, and it gives off four tendons which supply the second, third, fourth, and fifth digits in the dorsal aspect. These pass under the extensor retinaculum at the wrist and then fan out to go to the forefingers. This is also supplied by the posterior interosseous nerve, which, as I've mentioned, is a branch of the radial nerve. The next muscle is the extensor digiti minimi muscle, and this is a muscle that just sends tendons to the fifth digit as its name might suggest. So again, it arises from the extensor origin on the lateral epicondyle of the humerus, and it gives off two tendons that travel under the extensor retinaculum and then go to the fifth digit. These two tendons make it easy to identify if you're trying to figure out what the muscle is and you follow the tendons down into the hand, you might see two tendons going to the fifth digit. And the last of these four muscles arising from the lateral epicondyle of the humerus from that common extensor tendon is the extensor carpi ulnaris, which as its name suggests, extends the wrist on the ulna direction. And this muscle turns into a tendon which is inserted at the base of the fifth metacarpal bone. This muscle is also innervated by the posterior interosseous nerve, which comes from the radial nerve. The next three muscles I want to talk about basically all go to the thumb, and these muscles arise from the distal forearm. These muscles are the abductor pollicis longus, extensor pollicis brevis, and extensor pollicis longus. These muscles are also supplied by that posterior interosseous nerve, which comes from the radial nerve. The abductor pollicis longus, again, as its name suggests, abducts the thumb. It has quite a large area of origin from both the distal radius and ulna and the intervening interosseous membrane. This sends a tendon to the base of the first metacarpal bone. The next muscle is the extensor pollicis brevis muscle. This muscle arises below the abductor pollicis longus from the radius and the interosseous membrane. 
This muscle can be easily identified at the wrist because the muscle spirals over the tendons of the extensor carpi radialis longus and extensor radialis brevis and forms the radial aspect of the anatomical snuff box in the wrist before sending a tendon that's inserted into the first metacarpal. The third muscle is the extensor pollicis longus muscle. And this muscle arises from the ulna bone, just distal to the abductor pollicis longus. The tendon of this muscle, interestingly, hooks over the dorsal tubercle of the radius. And this means that it forms the superior aspect of the anatomical snuff box. So if you have a look at your own anatomical snuff box, the ridge on the top is the extensor pollicis longus tendon, and the little ridge at the bottom is the extensor pollicis brevis tendon. The tendon is inserted into the base of the distal phalanx of the thumb. And as I've mentioned, all three of these muscles are supplied by the posterior interosseous nerve. So to finish off the posterior compartment of the forearm, I'll briefly mention the anconius muscle, the supinator muscle, and also the extensor indices muscle. So the anconius muscle is quite a deep muscle in the forearm. It arises proximally from the lower aspect of the lateral epicondyle of the humerus. So similar to that common uh, extensor origin on the lateral epicondyle of the humerus. This muscle fans out to be inserted into the lateral side of the olecranon, and it plays a role in pronation. The next muscle to talk about is the supinator, which as its name suggests, is a powerful supinator of the forearm. This is also a deep muscle, and it has its origin in two places. The first of these is from the ulna itself, and these fibers wrap transversely around the radius and insert into the radius. The second origin is from the distal border of the lateral epicondyle, just in front of the origin of Anconius. And the reason the fact that this has two heads is important is because there is a nerve that passes between these two heads. This is the posterior interosseous nerve, which I've mentioned a lot when talking about the posterior compartment of the forearm. This is a branch from the radial nerve and it passes from the anterior compartment of the forearm into the posterior compartment by passing between the two heads of the supinator muscle and then goes on to supply most of the posterior compartment, including the supinator itself. The last muscle to mention is the extensor indices. And this is a really small muscle that arises from the ulna just distal to extensor pollicis longus, so quite distal in the forearm. Its tendon is inserted into the dorsal surface of the index finger. So just like the little finger has two tendons going to its dorsal surface, so does the second digit. This muscle, again, is supplied by the posterior interosseous nerve. So just to summarize, in terms of nerve supply of the posterior compartment of the forearm, there are three muscles that have branches directly from the radial nerve. And this is the brachioradialis muscle, the extensor carpi radialis muscle, and the anconius muscle. All of the rest of them are supplied by, again, the radial nerve, but by the posterior interosseous branch of the radial nerve. So before we go into the nerves and arteries of the forearm, let's take a brief look at the cubital fossa. 
The cubital fossa is found in the anterior aspect of the arm at the junction between the arm and the forearm. Its borders include the pronator teres muscle, the brachioradialis, and a line between the two epicondyles of the humerus. Its roof is the investing fascia of the arm, which is contributed to by the bicipital aponeurosis. The floor is muscular, being mostly made up of the brachialis muscle and part of the supinator muscle. The contents of the fossa from lateral to medial are the tendon of the biceps, the brachial artery, and the median nerve. The radial nerve is also nearby here in the lateral aspect, but is under the cover of the brachioradialis muscle, remembering that the radial nerve spirals around the humerus in the arm and breaches the lateral intermuscular septum to enter into the anterior component of the arm, which is where it can be found under brachioradialis, just adjacent or lateral to the cubital fossa. So now that we have gone through the bones and muscles of the forearm compartments, let's talk about the nerves. So the median nerve originates from the medial and lateral cords of the brachial plexus. It travels with the brachial artery, which it crosses from lateral to medial to in an anterior fashion as it descends down the arm. As we've mentioned, it enters into the cubital fossa and passes between the two heads of the pronator teres muscle. The median nerve then gives off the anterior interosseous branch, which travels, as its name would suggest, anterior to the interosseous membrane between the two bones of the forearm. It runs between the flexor digitorum profundus and flexor pollicis longus muscles and tendons, and it supplies flexor pollicis longus, half of the flexor digitorum profundus, and pronator quadratus. The median nerve itself continues down the anterior aspect of the forearm and travels between the flexor digitorum superficialis and flexor digitorum profundus muscles. At about five centimeters above the elbow, it can be seen emerging lateral to the flexor digitorum superficialis tendons, and it can then be seen traveling down towards the wrist, where it gives off its palmar cutaneous branch, which supplies the skin over the palm of the hand. At this point, it then passes deep to the transverse carpal ligament and travels through the carpal tunnel. I will leave a discussion about what it does in the hand for when we do an episode on hand anatomy. The next nerve to talk about is the ulnar nerve. The ulnar nerve comes from the medial cord of the brachial plexus, and it also travels down the arm with the brachial artery, but about the midpoint of the arm, it dives posteriorly to pass through the intermuscular septum, the medial intermuscular septum of the arm, and enters into the posterior compartment of the arm. It then passes around the medial epicondyle, where everyone would know it fondly as the funny bone, and passes between the two heads of the flexor carpi ulnaris muscle, which is a anterior compartment muscle. So it's re-entering the anterior compartment. Having gone posterior, it's coming back around to anterior. And it does also supply this muscle, the flexicarpi ulnaris muscle. It then continues down the forearm, deep to the flexicarpi ulnaris, but anterior to the flexor digitorum profundus, which if you remember, it supplies half of the supply too. 
It continues down the arm and is found medial to the ulnar artery. And in the wrist, it crosses over the flexor retinaculum, um, lateral to the tendon of flexor carpi ulnaris. The ulnar nerve supplies a lot of things in the hand, which again, I'll talk about later, but it's really only supplying the flexor carpi ulnaris and half of the flexor digitorum profundus in the forearm. The next nerve is the radial nerve, which is really the nerve of the posterior compartment of the forearm. I've already talked a little bit about this, but just to briefly go from start to the wrist, it originates from the posterior cord of the brachial plexus and passes through the triangular space with the profunda brachii artery. It then passes between the lateral and medial heads of the triceps before coming into contact with the distal aspect of the humerus in the radial groove. It passes from the posterior compartment of the arm into the anterior by passing through the lateral intermuscular septum. And as I've already mentioned, enters through down to the forearm under the cover of brachioradialis, which is just lateral to the cubital fossa. The radial nerve continues on and is joined by the radial artery, which continues down the arm under the cover of brachioradialis. However, it gives off the posterior interosseous nerve quite proximally, which passes back to pass into the posterior aspect of the forearm between the two heads of the supinator muscle. And this posterior interosseous branch of the radial nerve then goes on to supply most of the posterior compartment of the forearm. And you'll have to wait till the anatomy episode on the hand to find out what the radial nerve does as it continues down past the wrist and into the hand. And to finish off this episode, let's talk about the arteries. So the brachial artery, we already know, originates at the lateral border of teres major from the axillary artery and traverses down the arm in the intermuscular septum just deep to the fascia. As it travels down the medial aspect of the arm, it swings around anteriorly in the distal aspect to enter through the cubital fossa. About halfway down the fossa, it then divides into its two terminal branches, the radial and the ulnar arteries. As we were just talking about, the radial artery passes distally under cover of the brachioradialis muscle. Distally, it passes onto the lower end of the radius, which is where the artery here can be palpated at the wrist. The artery then passes under the tendons of abductor pollicis longus and extensor pollicis brevis, which were those short muscles in the posterior aspect of the forearm, quite distal, to pass through the anatomical snuff box. And We'll talk a little bit about what it does in the hand in another episode. The next branch of the brachial artery is the ulnar artery. The ulnar artery passes deep to the two heads of pronator teres, so it's crossed by the median nerve, which runs between these two heads of this muscle. It continues on down the forearm, lying between the flexor digitorum profundus and the flexor carpi ulnaris, and the ulnar nerve can be found on its medial side as it's traveling down the medial aspect of the forearm. Again, it can be palpated distally as it comes out onto the ulnar bone and then passes into the hand. The ulnar artery, just before it dives deep to pronator teres, gives off a branch called the common interosseous artery, which further branches into both the anterior and posterior interosseous arteries. 
The anterior interosseous artery travels anterior to the interosseous membrane, as its name suggests, and the posterior passes through a defect in the interosseous membrane to run down the posterior aspect of the interosseous membrane. The anterior interosseous artery, as it travels down the arm between the flexor digitorum profundus and flexor pollicis longus muscles, travels with the anterior interosseous branch of the median nerve. The posterior interosseous artery also travels with a nerve, and as expected, this is the posterior interosseous nerve, which is from the radial nerve. And that's it for Anatomy of the Forearm. Once again, thanks for keeping me honest and forcing me to go through this anatomy. I'm really enjoying talking about it out loud, and I hope that these notes and this podcast episode is going to be helpful for your revision for the exam. Once again, please leave me a review. I'm really enjoying reading all of the reviews people are leaving. Please rate the podcast and subscribe to the program as this makes it easier for other people to find the podcast. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying!